So uh, we weren't trying to create a culture of prayer and praise. Because in heaven, there's going to be no preaching. I'm just substituting for Jesus right now. But when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to preach. But he's not even going to preach. There's no preaching in heaven. There's no explanation necessary. We don't have to talk about the Word of God. We're going to be looking at the Word of God for all of eternity. So our mo- our, the one thing that we're going to do is commune with God, prayer, and we're going to be praising God 24-7, if there is such a thing as chronological time, for all of eternity. So if you are not used to doing that on the earth, then you're going to have a hard time in heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the main thing for a church, the main steak, the steak, you go to a restaurant, and then um, the main dish, like the steak, is the worship. It's not a side dish. It's not the broccoli. When I go to the keg, it's like, give me a, give me a baked potato or like rice pilaf, which is nothing. It's like air to me. The steak is the main dish, right? So when we go to church, sometimes we think the preaching is the main dish. I can't wait to get to the preaching. This one, like, like, you know, this is temporary. The praise is permanent. So let's get, to, let's like, let's enjoy the main dish. Don't go to the restaurant thinking the broccoli is the main dish. Amen. Is that is that true? Is it true that all you guys are wearing masks? I can't. <laughs> just, just tell me with your eyes. I was at a faculty retreat this week and the guest speaker was talking. I was just looking around the auditorium and all the professors are looking at him like this. And I'm like, oh man, I never want to be a guest speaker at a faculty retreat with a bunch of professors because you they're you like analyzing everything you're saying. Do you understand? Because they're academic. Hmm. Question. Like it's just, you're on the hot seat, right? So this is not school. This is, preaching is not teaching. Just want to let you know. Preaching is something else. It's the word of God manifested in such a way to penetrate your heart so that you're transformed. All right? Does that sound good? Announcement today is that we have a retreat coming out this weekend. So there will be no church service this week, next weekend because we're going to do it at the retreat. The retreat is packed full. We should have got a, better, a bigger place, but we didn't. when we actually got the retreat center, we didn't think our church would be a certain size. <laughs> we had barely like 10 people. So that was like a month ago. So um, next year will be a bit bigger. Right now we have a house and people are sleeping on the floor. And <laughs> oh, really? I, ho- I, hope I, get a, I hope I get a room like, as the father of this, the older guy. My wife and I would like a room. My, kid, my kids can come and sleep on the floor with us. But <laughs> my son can come and sleep, sleep with his mommy. It's fine. Um, the retreat is going to be amazing for you guys who are going to come. And we'll probably record the retreat, the sessions, and if you want to hear it. Because it's going to be a seminal moment for our Rain City because we're going to launch officially in September. And uh, we're going to have a place of our own. I have to go sign up and get the amenities room, but we, we God has graced, uh, graced us with uh, a place right in the heart of uh, Vancouver.
Broadway and Oak, right beside John 316 Malaysian Cuisine. So you can go down. <laughs> you can just go down and right there. It's, a, it's very prophetic, John 316 and John 3, And then there's a, two doors down, there's a Rain City tattoo. <laughs> I'm going to go in there and go like, hey, you're Rain City, but we're Rain City. How about we partner? Give me a, give me a free tattoo here. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's very prophetic. We didn't know that that was going to happen. Uh, somebody that I was helping, uh, I also consult privately, and somebody I was coaching for a year uh, really wants to help out. And so I think he's, he's going to give us some storage space and the amenities room for free. Wow. So, so whenever it's free, you say, I take that. No, no, no reason. No, you don't have to dip, you don't have to talk about it or think about it. People are like, we should think about it. I said, no, I'll take it, <laughs> even if it's temporary. Awesome. All right. I think that's uh, all the announcements that I have. I, I actually had a hard week this week. Just want to let you know. My wife and I had a difficult week. Um, uh, I also had a lot of work things to do, a lot of meetings, which is also <laughs> not good when you're just sitting in meetings and hearing people talk. Uh, which you are doing right now. <laughs> but, um, and I, even this morning, I just, just felt a little down, but not a little down. My wife was trying to cheer me up. But I'm 50 now. I'll be 50 in a couple of months. And my wife and I, we've been married 27 years. Actually, our anniversary will be the first day of the retreat. Oh, wow. So we are spending anniversa- our anniversary with you. <laughs> Yay. Well, I'm sure we'll do something before that. Um, so I had a hard week. But when I come to church, I'm mature now. I understand. It's nothing to do with how I feel. It's, it's everything to do with Jesus. And I know that once I catapult myself through praise into the throne room, all those things wash away. Because I have complete confidence that he will work everything out. Not in the way I want, not in my timing, but he will do it. And, and so I, so that's why when you see me worship, like hard, you can, oh, Steve probably went through a hard week. It's just the very opposite for me. If you see me like kneeling and crying out to Jesus, my gosh, let's pray for Steve. He must have had a hard week. <laughs> it's the opposite. Most human beings are like, I don't feel good. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to sit here. Well, then you're left with, let you leave the place in the same state you came in. But you want God to transform you, you, you actually have to do the opposite. That's cognitive dissonance psychology. God has wired our brains in such a way that when you do the opposite of how you feel, actually your feelings uh, will submit to what you are doing. Feelings are never good masters. They're good servants. Don't let feelings be your master. They can't rule your life or you're going to have a hard time with life. Let truth be your master and feelings will follow truth. That's cognitive psychology. Just gave you a little lesson there. All right. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to preach the word. I'm not going to go too long today. I wanted to talk about how we can be uh, people of influence in the world. I'm going to do that at the retreat. So I have these messages at the retreat. We're going we're gonna to do exciting things at the retreat, fun, a lot of interactive things. I've been preparing for the last two weeks. 
of what I feel like God wants us to do at the retreat. But today, uh, God has led me to something else. Is that okay? And most likely because I knew more people. I didn't know that people were going to come today. So most likely just more of a basic message, uh, not to complicate it. But it's something I learned. <laughs> I got a new tool. Yay! <laughs> okay, so something I learned this week. When you go, when you, when you travel, oh God, I want to travel so bad. <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> you don't understand, I've been to so many places in the world. I mean, I could die now and be like, I've been to so many places. Racked up over 300,000 miles in five years uh, because I've traveled so much. Um, I love traveling. So the first time I went to Hawaii, I was a tourist. <laughs> That's so bad. I think you rotate sideways for longer. Okay, thank you. That's how I actually write. Not that, the other way. That's how I write. Because <laughs> you see my journals, it's like cri- encrypted. So no, when I die, my kids are going to be like, what is dad saying in his journal? I don't understand. So tourists, when you, go to, when you become a tourist, what do you do? Somebody just shouted, what do you do when you're a tourist? Sightseeing, but what do you see? Distractions. Monuments, the, the things that are on the brochure. Yeah. Because the first time you go to like Hawaii or something, you don't know where to go. You only have a week. So you get a tour guide or some, and then you, you get suckered into one of those guys, like guys selling you tour you know, trips. And you pay a couple hundred dollars to go on a boat or you do the things that everybody else does. This is a journey of our Christian walk. A lot of times we're just tourists because we're just doing what everybody else is doing. We're, do- we're doing the main things, okay? The next thing that happens is that you're a traveler. The word traveler comes from the French word for travail. So work. So you do a little bit more work. Next time you go to Hawaii, you go, go somewhere else, you actually do some research. I'm tired of going to the same beaches, and I want to see what's out there. So I remember we went to Hawaii. We went to Hanama Bay. We, went to, we used to go there every year, right, son and daughter? Those are my kids there. <laughs> They're like, yes. <laughs> we go to the same old, we pay money, we go through the same old like introduction to Hanama Bay, and then we go to snorkeling and it's just a little bay but it's so famous so we just go there as a tourist and then somebody i, I befriended a local and local said yaman i'm talking Jap- japanese <laughs> how i can't even do the hawaiian accent sorry and they're like hey there's another there's another uh on the north shore there's a actually a cove it's called shark cove it's free dude you go there and then there's better stuff there so we went there, we had to go through the rocks and we had to do a little work because it's not paved roads and you have to go through and then my sister-in-law actually fell and scra- scraped her knee and then we went and I was snorkeling and I saw sharks. <laughs> That's why it's called the shark cove. We saw a turtle like swimming in front of me and I'm like, wow, I got to do more work and it's not shallow so you got to be able to swim. So you travel, you're a traveler, you do a little bit more work, right? And then and then you get more stuff out of it. So in Christian walk, so sometimes we're just 
we're lazy and we just like, just show us what to do. But then we progress into a traveler and we're like, well, let's see what, I'm going to read the Bible a little bit more. I'm going to do a little bit of work. I'm going to actually not just do Russian roulette of the Bible and just pick a verse and go, <laughs> okay, this, this God is speaking to me with this verse. No, I'm actually going to study the commentary. I'm going to do some work and see what comes out of it and explore. So the next thing that happens is you become an explorer. Explorer is somebody that my wife and I actually do now when we travel anywhere. We like to just walk. And wherever the road takes us, and whoever we find on the road, that's what we're supposed to do. Right? And that's really fun because you have no plans. You have no agenda. A traveler has an agenda, a plan. They want to get somewhere, do something. Explorer is like, what else? It's an adventure. Let's see. What are we going to do today? I don't know. Let's just walk. And we were supposed to progress into an explorer as a Christian. Just start walking and just start seeing what God has in store for us. But the final metaphor is what we call a pilgrim. Pilgrim is a person actually not just exploring. They're, they're actually, they don't really know where they're going, but they're somehow being led, but they're wanting to get to some holy place. They want to get to a destination like the temple or holy. They want to meet God. But most of the time, as a pilgrim, we realize in our Christian journey that God was with us the whole time. And that our destiny is not a destination, but our destiny is the journey. Okay? Our destiny is not like we got to get somewhere. Um, we're going to go to some place like all these other tourists, travelers, explorers, they want to get somewhere. But the pilgrim is, begins to understand the journey is my destiny. And in my journey, I'm being transformed. And that's where you want to get to. You guys follow me so far? Now, why did I say all this? Because prayer, we want to get to a place of pilgrimage. We want, to go, we, want to, we want our prayer life, our communion with God to be a place where as we journey, God is actually, we recognize that God is with us and he's transforming us in the journey. See, prayer at the essence, like so we pray for the nations, we pray for our friends, we pray for sickness, we pray for things to happen to us. We, we're, we travail, we work, and we explore. There's great things happening. We can actually, you know, affect change in the spiritual realm, and the city could be changed, and our, all those things we explore, and it's awesome. But at the end of the day, the heart of prayer is that God has instituted prayer to do all those great things. But at the end of it, he wants to transform us in prayer. That it's, it's a pilgrimage of transformation. Prayer shapes us. It transforms us. Right? It's a test of our hearts. Testing is not like whether you pass or fail. It's a revealer. So your lack of prayer reveals your independence. There's only two things in life um, that is a true revealer of your heart. Money and prayer. Show me your bank book. I'll tell you what you love. I, co I coach people too. <laughs> and, I, and they're like, I love Jesus. I love God. And I say, show me your bank book. 
And then I said, do an do a audit of what you spend all week. And then they showed me, and I said, you spend 90% of your finances on yourself. So who do you love? And then the, I remember this guy, he said, myself? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what's next? I spend a lot of money on my kids. So who do you love next? My kids? <laughs> and then did you spend any money on your wife? No. <laughs> this is actually true. So what you love is revealed in what you sacrifice. So it's a revealer. Prayer is a revealer. Prayer reveals that you are dependent on him for all things. If prayer is an emergency, he's not, he's not, you're not dependent on God. You are only dependent on him in emergency situations. He's the fire extinguisher in your room that you never use. You use just in case of emergency. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So prayer kills our independence and control. But we hate, so we're impatient, are we not? How many guys are patient? Nobody. How many guys are impatient? (laughs) Most of us. (laughs) I think my wife is very patient, but I am very, I am, you can ask my children, I am the most impatient person on the planet. Like, look at my son's, he's like, yes. <laughs> Even in Hawaii, I'm like, come on, let's go, kids. Let's go. It's 9 o'clock. And my daughter's like, it's vacation, Dad. I just want to sleep. But it's 9 o'clock. We're in Hawaii. I spent a lot of money to come here. We come here every year. We know everything. I'm impatient. It's, there's a, Yiddish proverb that says, it's good to hope. It's the waiting that spoils it. And we wait because we're, we desperately want to be in control. We want to be in control of the situation. We want to make sure everything is going to happen according to our time and will. We hate waiting. And that's why most people don't pray because they be, the waiting kills it. You pray and then you like... you you. You, you want magic. Prayer is not magic. You want it to happen right now, and then you prayed for something, and then it doesn't happen. Oh, it doesn't work. That's your independence. That's your sin nature. Sin basically is rooted in independence. That's what got Adam and Eve in trouble. They were like, I don't need to listen to you. I kind of know what I think. I want to rule my own life. And prayer kills that. It's an intentional mechanism by God, what he has instituted, to kill your independence. I'm so prideful. I'm independent. I I really want to control my life. What do I do? Pray. The more you pray, the more you'll learn to love it because the more it will shape you and transform you, it will humble you. You guys understanding what I'm saying? Because with your mask, I don't know if you're getting it or not. <laughs> Isaiah 40, 31, it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah 40, 31, I'm sure you have it. Some of you guys have it on your walls, maybe. Your parents have it. 
Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall, not, they shall run and not be weary. They shall, they shall walk and not faint. You guys know that verse? So, what does it say? Wait upon the Lord, not wait upon an answer. Most of you guys are waiting upon an answer, not the Lord. So when you wait upon an answer, you go weary. And you get tired and you faint. You get weak and you get depressed and despairing. God's not answering. The solution is not coming. And you start to, your shoulders start to hump. Have you seen Christians walk around like this, come to church? Are you doing okay? I'm all right. <laughs> How's your life? It's okay. Oh, I really want to be a Christian now. You go to workplaces and you're like, how you doing? Oh, such a dead heartache. Uh, aren't you a Christian? Yeah. Don't you have hope in Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> it's been so hard. Because if you wait upon the Lord, not an answer, because the Lord is a person. You wait upon a person. The evidence that you're waiting on, on the person, the Lord, is that your strength is renewed. Though momentarily you might be despairing, like this morning I had a little despair, but I wait upon not a solution. The Lord, He will deliver. He will come through. He will somehow make it okay. Even if He doesn't answer this one question that I want, and He says no, that's okay. Remember, Jesus loved the Lord, and the Lord, the Father loved Jesus and yet the father said no to the request of Jesus to say, can you take this cross away from me? The father said no to Jesus. And if he says no to you, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You guys get what I just said? Some people are like, I, I prayed for a job and I didn't get it and it's been a week. I don't think the Lord loves me. What are you talking about? Jesus asked for the crucifixion to be taken away. Is there another way? And God said no. He allowed his only son to be crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. He said no. He said you need to trust me. It's all going to work out. So if you have to bear a momentary cross for the resurrection to happen in your life if it was good enough for jesus it's good enough for us and you will not go weary you will not give up and you will mount on wings like eagles and you will soar high and you will have a better perspective you guys following what i'm saying to wait upon the Lord means I'm going to judge my circumstances by the love of Jesus and I'm not going to judge Jesus' love by my circumstances. I don't know, Steve, that was really good. I just, <laughs> I'm just going to tap myself on the back. That was good. Amen, amen. I'm going to just talk to myself. It says, to wait upon the Lord means I'm going to judge my circumstances by Christ's love. I'm not going to judge Jesus' love by my circumstances. I'm not going to doubt the love of Christ who died for us 
because I'm not getting things or things are happening in my life that's kind of, ooh, what, what's, what's happening there? I'm not going to judge Christ who died for me. I'm going to judge my circumstances based on Christ's love. That's perspective. If the Lord, if God of the universe allowed his son to die and yet resurrected him and there was a period of doubt and confusion and yet Jesus committed to that and he worked it all out, he will work it all out for me. John 17, he says, Father, I want you to love them even as you love me. Even as. Man, even as. You guys understand what that means? Jesus is saying, Father, love them as you love me. Come on! I don't know, you guys are looking at me like, I don't get what you mean. You know, I love you guys. I mean, I'm as much as I could love. (laughs) Some of you I don't even know, I just got to know. Love of Christ, I I love you. Love you in Christ. There's so many different words for love in the Greek. I love you in the phileo, I don't know. Which actually is a higher form. I love my kids. I'm sorry. I love you, but not like the way I love my kids. <laughs> Is that fair to say? Like, I love my, I look at my daughter, I love all my baby girls. She's so cute. When she's 60, I'm like 90. I mean, I'll still look at her go, with mo- no teeth, and go, my baby girl, baby girl, come. <laughs> and I made her promise when she was young, you have to kiss me on the lips forever. <laughs> and she said, as if I have it recorded, Yes, Daddy, I will kiss you on the lips forever. <laughs> so still, to this day, she keeps the promise. As a 20-year-old, in public, she'll still kiss me on the lips. I'm like, we are Italian. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? I love my son. I pr- I'm so proud. Every- I still kiss him in public. He's like, okay, Dad, okay. <laughs> I love them. I'll do anything for them. I don't love you that much. <laughs> Is that okay? Are you guys okay? Are you offended? I'm sorry. <laughs> But here, he's saying, even as. Come on, that blows everything out of the water. The Father loves you even as he loves Christ. And when you guys are doubting whether he has your back, you guys don't understand what that passage means. He got you. All the resources of heaven is going to go into your life. To bring about a good result, even though you go through the cross. <sighs> you guys good? So you got to get to that place when you get neurotic and anxious and worried. That's what prayer does. Prayer is like, it reminds you, you get to the throne room in heaven and you realize that Jesus is seated, not worrying. You know, in Ephesians it says Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right hand means all authority. All authority. Jesus has all authority of the Father and he's seated. He's relaxed. When you guys are like, oh my gosh, what's happening with my life? <laughs> and you're praying, God, do something. That's not, that's not, you're not in the throne room. Because in the throne room, Jesus is seated. So, okay. He's relaxed. He's, he's like this, come, sit with me. <laughs> like when my daughter's pacing or my kids, come sit on my lap. It's, okay, it's going to be okay. And they're like, no, Dad, you don't understand. 
You don't understand. My boyfriend's a jerk. <laughs> Just kidding. Her ex-boyfriend, the other one. <laughs> This one's good. It's okay. You don't understand what's happening. You're seated. He's seated. I remember I preached this in Africa, and the African pastors are like, they were doing this. My God, my God. All of them. They were like, I think a few hundred pastors, they were like, wait a minute. What did you just say? I said, Jesus is seated, people. Oh, my God, so simple. My God, from heaven. You know what? When I come back, they're preaching that all over Africa. There's hundreds of pastors. They all know. And when I talk about seated, they go, we know. And then they go, he's seated, he's seated. They walk around going, he's seated, he's seated. They're dancing. Oh, you guys need to be African a little bit more. And that, it gets me going. They're like, we're seated. We're relaxed. We're <laughs> he's seated. Don't be anxious. I'm, I'm neurotic. My person, I've done, done my personality test. This is one of the things I do. I get my clients to do it. I get my students to do it. And I have analyzed myself. I'm conscientious and neurotic. Not, not pathologically, but borderline. <laughs> It's a little bit genetic. And my parents are very neurotic. So I'm conscientious and I'm always fighting that. And conscientiousness and neuroticism actually is a common combination. If you're a hard worker and you're like, you want to get the A and you're a type A personality, you're probably a little bit neurotic. Anxious and worried and you want to make sure everything's tight. You're worried that the oven's not turned off. <laughs> you know how many times I check the oven before I sleep? Because it's gas oven. At least four times. Because I forget. After brushing, did I check the oven? You can ask my wife. She's standing in the hallway of the apartment going, oh my gosh. <laughs> Sometimes I run back to the door to see if it's locked. She's like, oh my, elevator's here. Elevator's here. I'm neurotic. I want, I want to be in control. I want everything to go well. I don't want bad things to happen because I'm a visionary. So when you are a visionary, you imagine bad things happening. And if you can imagine bad things happening, you can imagine good things happening. You're an unredeemed visionary. So if you're like neurotic and worried, it means that you, potential for you to be a great visionary of God's kingdom is so prevalent in your heart. You guys... <laughs> So you pray until you get the peace because the peace is in heaven where Jesus is seated and all, you have, all I hear is his voice. I'm seated. I got you. And he reminds me of the cross. Remember the cross? We don't worship Friday. We worship the Sunday. We're thankful for Friday but we worship the Sunday. I was talking to a pastor. I love Good Friday. It is... It is, the, it is the day for us. And I said, no, I don't like Friday. That's when Jesus died. He's like, um, but we worship Friday. I said, we don't worship Good Friday. We worship the Resurrection Sunday. He was like, I was coaching him, so he has to listen to me. He's <laughs> like, oh, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, because you're a traditional reform. I'm a reform too. We're always emphasizing the cross but you don't emphasize the ascension and the resurrection when he rose to heaven. That's the consummation. That's like watching a movie in the middle and going, worshiping the movie in the middle and going, that's the end. 
The end, end is the end. Do you understand? You pray until you get that peace. Like he ascended. He resurrected from the dead. If, if he resurrected Jesus from the dead, he can resurrect things in your life. God is always at the work of resurrection. You just got to give him time. God is like the mafia man. He never forgets. <laughs> There's a period of time where you think, did he forget? At a time of his choosing, of his will, he's not going to kill you, but he will bless you. <laughs> no is a setup for something better later. Aren't you glad he said no to some of your prayers? I remember when I was a teenager, and I, I, I went to Korea, and I met a girl from Tennessee. She had a little Tennessee draw. Hey, y'all, and I thought she was so cute. And then she, we dated for like two days. <laughs> and then she started dating my best friend, which devastated me. And I was crying all night, and that was, that was my first rejection. I never, I never got rejected before then. I never felt that before. But then I married my wife, and I look back and I go, why did I cry? <laughs> that was so stupid. I remember when I broke up with, my, not broke up, but a girl in high school didn't like me. She kind of strung me along. And then finally, when she started dating somebody else, I remember driving into my house in Vancouver, I mean, in Toronto, uh, in the house, and then I started playing this song, Roxette. You guys know this song from Roxette? It must have been love. Oh. But it's over now. It must have been good. And I was like crying, and my mom came out of the garage. She said in Korean, more, 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 what are you doing? I'm like, just get away. I'm just I'm And I look at that and I'm like, that's so stupid. Why did I cry for? I remember I got I I went to a baseball tournament in Chicago and there was Korean professional uh, teams that came to recruit and I won the MVP, a trophy this high. At all the like teams in America, we had a Canadian all-star team went there. I won the MVP. These kids were, these, some of these guys were in like AAA college ball. I <laughs> won the MVP. I thought for sure they're going to give me a contract. They gave one contract to this other kid. And I was devastated. I wanted, to, I wanted to break that trophy. But it was too big and I wanted to show my dad. My dad still had it. He kept it. He was so proud. He was so proud of that. But man, I look at that and I'm like, man, my life would have been so different if I became a baseball player. You would not, you would, I would not be here with you. <laughs> You'll be seeing me in the Korean league going, like an old guy, or I'll probably be a coach. God has a plan. You just got to let him work it out. Can I tell you one more story? I'm almost, I'm almost done. I, I actually, my second home that I sold... That's a whole nother story how a pastor with no sal hardly any salary bought a house. That's a miracle. But I bought a townhome, and then I wanted to sell it. I wanted to buy a bigger home in Surrey to live with my parents. And I was excited, and I was tired of driving my kids to private school in Surrey from Burnaby. It took an hour every day, and I said, I can't waste this time. And so I sold it. It was high market. You know Vancouver when it's hot? with multiple offers, and I'm like, I'm, I'm in the right time right now. God has blessed me with the lottery. And my sister-in-law was my neighbor in my same townhouse. She sold her house in like four days. 
And I'm like, it's my turn. You know how long it took? You know how long it took? Six months. And I cried. <laughs> and I was like, cut. And I prayed all night. I fasted. Lord! I was, I was like, I, you know, it's so stupid thinking about it. I was like, what are you doing? I'm going to pray all night for this house to sell. My wife's like, I'm going to sleep. It's, <laughs> it's going to sell when it's going to sell. And then six months later, we looked at all these houses. We had so many people come in, no offers. And then finally, somebody came and offered, and I, ex- I accepted it. I just, I'll take it. And it was October. And then we looked at the house, one house in Surrey, and we looked at it, and I, had a, I imagined what the house would look like. And when I walked in, as soon as my wife and I walked in, it said, this is our house. Because the basement looked exactly like what I wanted for my parents. Like, ceiling's really high. Amazing. And then the shower. One thing I asked for was a shower. That's huge. I don't know why. But I just wanted to, like, dance in the shower. <laughs> it was a room. Like, it was so, it was a steam shower. So it was like, I could literally, it's like this big. And I looked at the shower, and they said, oh, yeah, we custom built the shower for somebody who likes taking showers. And I went... <laughs> Made an offer that night, and we got it. But you know what was the kill? What, what was the um, not the killer, but the showstopper of this testimony? They built the house. Shut up, Siri. I don't need you. <laughs> they started. Bu- it's a custom build by somebody who builds houses, like million-dollar houses in White Rock but decided to somehow build it in Fraser Heights. So this is my one project. We usually build million-dollar houses. This is like a small little project for us. That's why it was different. They started building the week that I put my house on the market. And they finished the week that I sold my house. It's like God was reminding me, see, you, wanted just to not, you just wanted to hurry. You just wanted to get something but I was building this perfect house for you. The house of your dreams. I was building it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's two deaths in the Christian journey, your physical death and then your spiritual surrender. You have to die to your will. That's what waiting is. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. That means you die on the cross. To your will, your desires. Prayer is not about getting our requests from God. It's getting God, getting from God his requests into us. That was another really good one I made up. Just uh, <laughs> I, didn't get that, I didn't get that anywhere. I just that the Holy Spirit just put that there. I don't know if you appreciate that. Prayer is not getting our requests from God. Praying and then getting the request is like getting from God His requests into us. The prayer of a righteous avails much. You know what that means? Not a prayer of anybody who wants something from God avails. It's a prayer of a righteous who is in right standing with God. And there's only one way to be with God. Prostrated. Surrender. He's God, I'm not. With that posture, you allow His will to be infected, in, to be passed down to your heart, and then you speak His will 
and then his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when King David said, when Nathan said to King David, do whatever is in your heart, king. I'm thinking about doing this. Nathan said, do whatever is in your heart. That's the essence of ultimate prayer. People ask me, how long did you pray to go to North Korea? How long did you pray? Um, Not much. Did you pray at all? Yes, I did. Because I know I'm completely surrendered. I laid down my life. I'm willing to die over there. And then if it's still my desire, I know that my desire is his desire. So I just go. That's prayer? Yes, because I've completely surrendered. Why are you going to Mombasa when they're throwing grenades into your meet- into meetings where there's Christian leaders? I told you. I was pretty scared, and then I laid down my life. I said, well, if I get grenaded, at least I don't have to suffer with some disease. I'll die, and then I'll go to heaven. I have laid down my life. I have been crucified with Christ. So if my, if my desire is his desire. So when I go to Africa, I just say, yes, I, I want to do that. And what I want to do is what God wants to do. Do you understand? I don't have to pray and intercede. Should I do this? Should I go? Should I get this job? And that, that? I don't pray like that. I don't pray. You know, I'm just anxious and worried. What is this? A lot of you guys are anxious and worried about your prayer because you don't want to. It's not that you want to do God's will. You want to make sure that what you want is God's will. That's a big difference. Surrender. That's how you birth the kingdom. You know, Jacob, you guys know the story. I'm going to end with this. Maybe if you guys are good, maybe I'll just show you a picture. But it's Jacob. (laughs) Remember Jacob? Well, Jacob ran away. He was a liar and a manipulator. He tricked his brother into getting the birthright, which is a big deal in the Old Testament, but that's another sermon. And then he, he, his brother Esau wanted to kill him. He ran away. You guys know. And then he saw Rachel, and he was like, he was working for Laban. And then Jacob encountered himself, and then he got humbled. Most of the time when you're transformed, you're going to encounter somebody who's just like you, who burned you as you burned other people. Then that's how you get humbled. You encounter yourself and then realize this is what I did to other people. Because Laban tricked him as he tricked his brother. Ooh, that's another. That's another. (laughs) Okay? And so, but you guys know Rachel. He said, oh, I love Rachel. She's so beautiful. And then, and then Laban said, well, you gotta marry, you gotta, you gotta take my other daughter, Leah. Nobody wants her. That's the true story. That's the Bible. And then, so she tried to give Jacob sons. Because Rachel couldn't have kids until later. So the first son Leah had was Reuben, meaning, see a son. That's what the name means, Reuben. So Leah was trying to get Jacob to love her. Look, I gave you a son. But no, still his eyes were for Rachel. Second son, he's named Simeon, meaning heard. And she said, finally, God has heard me. He gave me another son. No, the third son, Levi, meaning attached. He's attached, right? So he, she's saying, she's hoping that this son, the third son, three is a number of perfection, complete. Now I gave you three sons, maybe Jacob will be attached to me. But then, no, he still had eyes for Rachel. 
Then her fourth son, she named Judah, which means praise. She said, I'm tired. I'm just going to praise God. I don't care anymore. I surrender. I just praise the Lord. And in her moment of praise was the moment of her spiritual revival. And she did not know it, but Judah birthed the king. From the line of Judah, Christ came. When your love for God is enough and you just praise him and surrender him, you birth the kingdom. I get excited about that word. When you're, when, that's the movement. You're like anxious and worried and you're trying to control everything and then finally you get tired and that's God's will, God's way of like pushing you into surrender too. And finally you're tired. I'm just tired. Whatever, God. I just surrender to you. You are God. I am not. I worship you. You are still on the throne. You are seated. And I just remember the cross. And there's always a resurrection. So I just worship you. No matter what's going on in my life. If people are sick. I'm going through this. I've lost my job. I'm going through this and COVID or all that stuff. Lord, I still worship you. And I worship you. And you come every week and you worship God. And when you do that, as a church, we birth the kingdom. Amen. King Jesus will manifest through your life. That is the guarantee. You guys good? You guys good? I'm going to end with that. I have some other things, but it's okay. When praise is enough, you birth the kingdom. That's why prayer, praise is prayer. You guys ever wonder why when I'm, worship, when I'm singing songs, you're praying. So you guys don't know how to pray. Just listen to a song that's really biblical. And you just sing out loud. And you are joining in the intercession of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why you're singing worship songs? You feel like, oh, and then you get moved. It's because that's how Jesus is praying in Romans. He's interceding for you constantly. He's not up there going, um, 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 he's chanting. He's praying. He's interceding. You are joining in the prayer of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Now, we got to get to like praying in real. I mean, not with song, but also words. Song, words, song. That's why the Bible says hymns, songs, spiritual songs, and prayer. All those things combine. That's why when I'm listening to music, I'm singing out loud because I'm praying. You understand? So let's end with prayer with a song. There was a, what was the last song you sang, son? Sure. Let's sing this song together and that's how we'll close. And after, if you're new, if you want some prayer, prayer ministry, where you're having a hard time hearing God. Sometimes we have those moments and seasons, right? We don't know what God is saying to us. And so we have, God has gifted people to be able to hear what God is saying to you. To give you a word for the season, what God is saying. Right? That's why we're in the body of Christ. So if you're, if you're like that, come up and I'll pray for you. 
we'll have other people. I've trained some people. Jacob and other people can come up and we'll pray for you. If you brought something new and then they're like hesitant, you say, come on, let's go get some prayer. If you, you should never be like sheepish about asking people to get blessed. <laughs> if you have like an amazing chocolate cake, you're like, do you want some? No, it's okay. No, you say, eat this cake. <laughs> it is so good. Like Josh keeps telling me about the La Forette. I went there and, then, <laughs> and I went there. He's like, eat this, try this, try this. It, I don't feel like it's pushy. I feel like he cares about me. But I'm, I, look, I don't eat sugar. That's fine. <laughs> but I'm like, you're, getting, you're tempting me. Right? So let's do that. Why don't we all stand?